Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. One of the questions that Phaedrus opens in his fairly short and in many respects, rather traditional speech in the symposium is this one, is the beloved or the lover greater? And if we want to say which one of them is greater, we also need to think about in what sense are they greater than the other? He's not going to answer this in any sort of conclusive way, although he's going to give us some suggestions. But we can take parts of what he's saying and correlate them and think them through a little bit more. This is an important issue that he's bringing up. So I've got this uh, diagram up here. The beloved-lover relationship is a dyadic relationship. And the way that he's talking about it, and the way that many other people in the symposium are talking about it, it's not a particularly reciprocal relationship. So we're not thinking of lover and lover. We're thinking of lover feeling something towards the beloved, who may not, in fact, be feeling the same thing in return, but they can still be in a relationship together. The lover in Greek is the erastes, the one who is doing the loving, the one who is doing the desiring. So the beloved is the aromenon, the one who is literally the object of the verb to love. And so what's going on here? The beloved, on his side, has some sort of beauty or attractiveness, some sort of handsomeness, some charm, and perhaps a nobility of character that would be attractive as well, although that's not necessarily taken for granted, right? And it shouldn't be in the context of the symposium, as we're going to see for many other reasons. So the beloved is essentially the passive object that is in some way provoking desire, provoking attraction on the part of the more active lover, the erastes, who desires, who feels this confusing thing that we call love, and the lover acts as well. The lover is the one who makes the phone call and says, hey, can we go out Friday night? The beloved is the one who says, let me think about it, or says yes, or says no, I'm busy. The beloved doesn't necessarily do anything in return. And there's no element here of the beloved, you know, secretly behind the scenes being a lover who somehow seduces the lover on the surface into acting and all that. It's just rather the beloved is somebody attractive and the lover acts. The lover creates conditions in which their relationship can, can flourish, can be brought to the kind of fruition that they want, can develop all these sorts of things. The beloved is expected in some way to reward the lover, and it doesn't necessarily have to be with affection. It could be just with action. It could just be hanging on somebody's arm, being what, you know, they call eye candy or arm candy. There's a lot of possibilities for this to play itself out. Now, which of these two is greater? Greater in what sense? Morally better? More important? Perhaps we could think of it in terms of, like, having the greatest social approval? There's, there's a lot of different ways we could think of greater. What we actually get out of Phaedrus' speech is that both of these people are concerned with what we can call appearances, but appearances in a very important way. They are concerned with their honor or shame, their time or eiskune, in the face of the lover, how they appear to the other person. 
right? So the lover cares very much about how the beloved views them, and they will go to, you know, if they're, if they're not a particularly good-looking person and they think that it's important to look good-looking, they will go and get some sort of work done or you know, dress nicer or, you know, go and buy a car, something like that, right? If they think that what matters is having lots of friends, then they will try to give the impression that they are, they're actually a very social person who's well-liked by others. If they think that a sense of humor is what's desirable and they don't have a sense of humor, I don't know exactly what they do. Maybe buy a joke book or something and memorize some of the jokes. But you get the idea. There's a care about how the beloved perceives them. And this can go much deeper. It doesn't have to be so superficial. It could be, where are you getting your money from? Are you engaged in shameful practices in, in the course of your business? Maybe you don't want to be that person anymore. The beloved also feels something like that, he says, towards the lover. There's something about being placed in the orbit of another person's desire that makes you a little bit more conscious about the kind of person that you are. Now, for bad people, of course, which Phaedrus is not talking about, that could lead to the, you know, aha, I could manipulate this person. I could really take advantage of them. But for good people... This should produce something like a, oh, wow, I'm, I've got somebody who, who likes me, who, who loves me for the kind of person that they think I am, or perhaps even who I am. I really need to live up to this. And so both of them, in that sense, are, are on an equal plane in many respects. He also says that there's no greater good to either one of these people than the other person. And hey, you know what this is like? When you're involved in a relationship where suddenly an attraction springs up, you want to spend all your time possible with that person, you're constantly texting or on the phone or spending time face-to-face -face with them, you don't want to leave. That may change as time goes on and you become more familiar with each other and you, know, you also get over the, are you still going to be here when I come back sort of worries. It doesn't just have to do with spending time. Phaedrus is saying there is no greater good agathon, a good, something that is a, it's often translated benefit here, to the other person than the one that either loves them or the one who they love. So again, we see a kind of symmetry going on, or at least they're both on the same level. A little bit different when he gets to talking about this case of Achilles. And Achilles is going to provide us with the rule but also with the violation or the exception to the rule as well, which is going to better flesh out for us what's going on. So when he's talking about the gods, he says the gods themselves are particularly happy to see. They admire the sort of actions, the, the affections, the stances that people take that are motivated by love. So the gods look at lovers, and they think that the lover is in a certain respect better than the beloved, because the lover is being motivated by love, and the lover is the one who is active. The lover is the one who is doing things. Let's see if we can come up with some other examples besides that of Achilles. Um, one of my favorites is that of Odysseus and Penelope. Now, in that case, both of them are doing some pretty amazing stuff. Penelope, if you know the story... She is waiting for Odysseus to get home, but she's not waiting in a purely passive way. This this maiden in a tower, totally helpless or anything like that. She's got suitors. She's got like little kinglets from the whole island of Ithaca who are actively pursuing her and a son who's growing to maturity who she knows that sooner or later is going to provoke a conflict where either he kills them or they kill him. 
She is trying to, you know, hold out for Odysseus. So she does this incredible stratagem of, of telling them, I need to weave a burial shroud for my father. And for three years, she's able to fool them. She weaves during the day, and then at night, she unweaves the thing, you know, getting almost no sleep, until one of her maids finally betrays her, and the suitors are like, look, lady, you got to make a choice between one of us or, or the other. So that's pretty good. Odysseus, for his part, is constantly trying to get back home, and not just to his land, not just to being a king, not just to the son that he hasn't seen since he left, or the father that he misses, but for his wife. And he is actually offered the chance to become essentially immortal. You know, he does sleep with two women. Well, two women-like beings on the way. He sleeps with, with Kirke, who's a sorceress. And then he also knocks her up, as we find out in other stories. And then he sleeps with Calypso, who is this divine creature. And Calypso offers him the chance to stay with her. Instead... He says, no, I don't want that. I want to go back home, in part because he, he loves his wife so much. So the gods see that sort of thing, and they are very pleased by it. They think that this is wonderful, and the lover is able to do what they do by virtue of the fact that they feel love, by the fact that the god of love is within them. They are participating in love. The beloved, maybe not so much except in the case of somebody like Achilles. Or we might actually say in the case of somebody, some, some couple like uh, Odysseus and Penelope as well. In the case of Achilles, he is the younger man. He is the Aromanon in the thing. And the person that we often talk about as being his lover, or his, his beloved, is actually his lover. So the way that the, the passage runs is, I make a, a special point of this. In any case, the gods display admiration for the valor that springs from love. They are even more amazed, delighted, and beneficent when the beloved, in this case Achilles, shows the, the same for his beloved, or does the same for his beloved, in this case Patroclus. In this case, it's also very interesting, Patroclus, by the time that the ultimate gesture of love is being shown, Patroclus is dead, and Achilles is taking on a certain death sooner or later in order to avenge Patroclus, in order to provide his lover with what he ought to receive from the beloved. So, you know, how should we understand this? Is Achilles thereby transforming himself into no longer the beloved, but a greater lover in return, one who has more to offer, one who is inhabited by love, who acts by love to an even greater extent? Perhaps that's the way that we ought to look at it. And in any case, the gods marvel when a beloved reciprocates, that is, does the same in return, or even goes further. And the case of Achilles might be understood as either one of these. So who is greater? It's still really the lover, because reciprocating really does turn the beloved into a lover in return. In that case, we have some sort of reciprocal relationship of lover to lover. Which means that, to answer this question, it's not the beloved, the attractive one, who is greater. It's the one who is acting upon, who is motivated by that attraction or that desire, the lover. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. 
You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works. <laughs>